Uh, my name is Greg Wood. I'm with Children's Camps International. I love doing things in that way because for two reasons. I love working with kids, and I, I love being able to tell, to simplify the message for the children. And then usually if I simplify it for the children, it's also simple enough for the adults to understand. So <laughs> I love doing those kind of things. I've been for years. Um, every Christian needs to be involved in disciple-making. Of course, the question is, well, why would that be the truth? Well, because the Lord commands us to make disciples. Matthew 4.19 said, Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. Think about that for a minute. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So if you're following Christ, then you must be fishers of men because that's what following Christ means. I remember Vernette Bright, uh, Vernette Bright, uh, Bill Bright's wife, and yeah, a co-founder of uh, Campus Crusade for Christ, uh, say one time, um, if you aren't fishing, then you aren't following. And uh, as harsh as that sounds, and as much as it hit me right here when I heard it, it is the truth. Because Jesus said, if you follow me, I will make you fishers of men. We need to be involved in discipleship. All through Matthew 28, 18 to 20 that we heard earlier, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. We're all called to go. I think it was Steve Green who wrote a song. If, if everyone's called to go, why are so many feel called to stay? So the first reason is um, because the Lord commands us to make disciples. The second one is, one of the ones that we talked about, is that people are lost without Christ. John 5, 11 and 12 says, And this is the testimony God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son, does not have life. Now, I read that very many times after I came to know the Lord in my early 30s, and that was an assurance to me that I knew that I had eternal life, and I never even thought about the second half. Do we really understand the implications of something like that? That people are completely lost without Christ? Because if we do, then we need to act like we do. We all know the, st the story of the Titanic, and I don't mean the movie, the Titanic one, but the story. British passenger liner had struck an iceberg uh, in, uh, off Newfoundland on the night of April 14th, 1912, unsinkable, and sank. There's another part of the story, however, that is not widely known. One of the passengers on the Titanic was a godly pastor from Scotland by the name of John Harper. Harper was headed to America to minister at the Moody Church in Chicago. On that day, the was struck, the weather was fine, and the sea was calm. Harper attended the church service for the passengers. His niece reported that later that afternoon she saw her uncle speaking 
individually to people about their souls. He was in the habit of seeking lost sheep wherever he went. The Titanic, 11.40. As the call was for passengers to vacate their cabins, Harper wrapped his daughter in a blanket, told her she would see him again one day, and passed her to one of the crewmen. After watching her safely board one of the lifeboats, he removed his jacket and gave it to another passenger. One survivor distinctly remembers him hearing, saying, women, children, and the unsaved into the lifeboats. Harper knew that believers were ready to die, but the unsaved were not. Harper then ran along the debts, pleading with people to turn to Christ. And with the ship sinking, he called upon the Titanic's orchestra to play Nearer My God to Thee. Gathering people around him on the deck, he knelt down and with holy joy in his face, raised his arms in prayer. And as the ship began to lurch, he jumped from icy waters and he swam frantically from person to person, beseeching people to turn to the Lord and be saved. Finally, as hypothermia set in, John Harper sank beneath the water and passed into the Lord's presence. He was 39. Four years later, a young Scotsman by the name of Aquila Webb stood in a meeting in Hamilton, Canada and gave the following testimony. I am a survivor of the Titanic. When I was drifting alone on that awful night, the tide brought Mr. John Harper of Glasgow go on a piece of wreck near me. Man, he said, are you saved? No, I said, I am not. He replied, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. The waves bore him away, but strange to say, brought him back a little later. And he said, Are you saved now? No, I said, I cannot honestly say that I am. He said again, Believe on the name Jesus Christ and thou will be saved. And shortly after, he went down. And there, alone in the night, and with two miles of water underneath me, I believed. I am John Harper's last convert. Apparently, God wanted Webb's amazing story to be told because only seven people were plucked from the icy waters that night and to join the survivors in the lifeboat, and Webb was one of them. In the Hollywood movie, they don't talk about John Harper at all. But John Harper understood what it meant for people who were not saved to die. He understood what their eternal future held. And he understood the urgency of sharing Christ with them. Pastor said in his, um, I guess not during his prayer, but just before his prayer today that we're celebrating the first coming of a Christ and expecting at the, at the next coming. And he's coming back. But when? Is he coming back? Because I firmly believe that he could come back right now. He didn't. But I, don't, but I still believe that he could come back at any time. We're not going to get warning. We're not going to get the opportunity to then say, oh, now we should invest in discipleship. Now we should spend time with people. Now we need to share Christ. We're not going to get that. We're going to come like a thief in the night. Um, my first short 
mission trip to India was in 1999. And in it, I met a, a gentleman named uh, Jeremy who worked with Campus Crusade for Christ India. And we did like 35 shows for like 20,000 people. That guy could make you work. <laughs> but we went home and uh, after that trip, and we kept in touch with him. And he wrote me his newsletters one time about the fact that they had trained people in how to share their faith and how to disciple people. And they went in the village to do exactly that. And after a few hours, um, actually early in the afternoon, a group was confront confronted by a bunch of radical Hindus who threatened to kill them if they didn't leave the village. And as they left the village, they were praising God because this was the very first time that someone had gone into that village to share Christ and not been beaten and killed for it. I want you to picture that for just a second. When you go in, there's a 100% chance that you'll be killed. Everyone else has been. And you go anyway. I thought I was bold in evangelism. <laughs> Nothing on them. Because of the lost. Because what it means to those who are lost without them. Third reason is the benefits of those who receive Christ. Well, they become children of God. John 1.12. All their sins are forgiven. Colossians 1.14. They experience the power of God to change their lives. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. And fourth, because of the benefits to us. Philemon 6 says, I pray that you will be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Everyone needs to be involved in some way, shape, or form, discipleship, in evangelism. How can we be involved in sharing their faith? Well, first step is to pray that you would get the opportunity to share your faith with your unsaved friends. Unfortunately, I have discovered that some Christians have no unsaved friends. That's okay. I have a two-step method of solving that problem. Step number one, repent of the fact that you have no unsaved friends. And two, go make some. And I got another, uh, this is an additional rule, but it could have comes at the end. If they never, ever come to church, if they never, ever come to know Christ, you have to stay friends with them. You can't use that as your only reason to be friends with them. So we need to find those people. We need to pray to God and ask Him to, uh, to build a relationship so we can make disciples. Another way is we can help others to become disciplers. I'd like you to meet Josh. In 2019, at the age of 12, Josh had never been to a church. He lived in a, a little Indian village called Lobo Seaside because it was um, right on the, on the seaside. Um, someone knocked on his door in 2009 and invited him 
to come to a camp. Now, there's no churches in his village, so he'd never been to anything like that. But during Christmas break, he was invited. As a matter of fact, the local pastor and his team knocked on every door in that village and two adjoining villages to camp. I remember that camp from 2009. Uh, there was no churches, so they held it in a big open field. And, and in Fiji, there's a, uh, when the sun is above you, it's straight above you, so you don't cast a shadow. Well, I cast a shadow. But skinny people don't cast a shadow. They just go straight down to their feet. The sun was beating down. and uh, As a matter of fact, a uh, pastor came with four guys and got a big tarp, I guess, and a um, Canadian tire. Anyway, um, and held it over top of the kids to give them some shade. So I, I remember that. Now, Josh attended that week of camp and learned for the very first time that God loved him. And he gave his life to Christ. And then a church was planted in that village. And Josh invited his parents to attend that church as well, his mom and dad. And then his uncles, brother, his sister-in-law, and now all of them attend that church and have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I saw Josh again two years later. He was 14 years old. He was a junior counselor at the camp we were holding there. And he was helping other kids learn how to receive Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. They have a church building. They do two services, one in English and one in Hindi. Time and again, we hear from pastors who are so amazed that they could build a church, they could build their church by investing in the children. Of course, that's one of the reasons I'm here today is ask you to invest in the children. But thank you for investing in the children and ask you to continue. Um, does anybody know what that is? Out loud so everybody knows. It's a $5. Thank you very much, right? It's $5 bill. It's worth about 3 bucks American. Okay. $5. I want you to watch very Fold it in half. Fold it in half. Fold it in half again. Fold it in half one more time. Unfold it. Unfold it. Unfold it. And unfold it. A $5 bill. Pretty amazing what I can do with a $5 bill, isn't it? You know what? I got nothing on Children's Camps National because $5. The average cost is $5. You send a child to it's, okay, it's day camp. Day camp on steroids. Five days of camp. They don't spend the night. Five days of camp and 51 weeks of follow-up. Why not 52? Because it's camp time again. So, <laughs> but it's in the discipleship. It's in the, the follow-up program, the weekly meeting. That's where real transformation takes place. We estimate that approximately 80% of those who attend the camps and are invited to the follow-up program come to know Christ as their personal Savior. And then they go home and tell their parents. So don't tell anybody, but I think the number of campers compared to the number of people who come to know the Lord is actually over 100%. How does that work? Anyway, oh, because they tell their mom and dad, like Josh did, and there are more people come to know the Lord. All for $5. Still doing it for $5. 
What started out with 500 children attending camp, just over 500 children in 2004, has grown to where almost 3 million kids have gone to camp. As a matter of fact, right now in India, they are prepared to send another 200,000 children to camp in the month of December. Only the money was available to do that. With COVID, a lot of places have, have to, had to cut back. A lot of things have... have well, because of COVID, we sent 500,000 children to camp in India last year. A half a million children. I try to picture, I, I mean, how do I say half a million children? That's half the population of Manitoba. They got to go to camp. The reason is schools were closed. So when we invited children to camp, they wanted something to do. The kids had been crying, open the schools, we want to go home. So when camp was there, they took the opportunity. And churches grabbed the opportunity. Now, a lot of these were villages where they, there, there were no uh, lockdowns. And all of the laws were practicing practice, keeping clean hands. We paid attention to. And we still got half, half a million children to camp. This year, we'll, we won't probably have. Never sent more than about 210,000. The last year we did. Because of COVID, our ministry in Brazil has expanded from, I believe it was 12 states, to every state in the country of Brazil. Because of COVID, they had to move their training online. Because the training was online, people in states further away could attend the training. And we could train our, our, our leaders to do the follow-up programming, the small groups, Brazil's follow-up is more of a small group where you've got 10 to 20 kids and maybe you meet in your home and you do small group discipleship with them. And it's a planned discipleship program. So they're trained to do that. And our super our coordinators and our supervisor were all trained online. Because of COVID, we now have over 5,000 children in Brazil in weekly follow-up discipleship classes. So complain as much as I will about COVID, I have to think there's probably 300,000 more kids got to go to camp. And if you say 75, 80% of those came to know the Lord, that would be a lot of kids. And, uh, and so I, I'm wondering if I'm allowed to complain about COVID anymore. So... One thing I've found in all my travels and, and traveling to these different places, of course, we get to work with children in, in, in the different countries. But everywhere in the world I go, kids are the same. Right? They could be kids from the wealthiest part of Winnipeg to kids who are in the lowest Hindu caste. I would explain something about the lowest Hindu caste to you, but there are children here and we don't need to talk about that. They could be kids from the, uh, uh, northern Canada above the tree line where they have 11 months of winter and one month of good caribou hunting. Chinese kids who travel over an hour by bike, boat, and bus just to get to school. Children who have been forced into the worst lifestyle imaginable. 
Children are orphaned, or their parents can't afford to take care of them, so they're sent to orphanages. And all of these children laugh at the same things. They all hunger for love. They all need a message of hope. And you can help share that message of hope. My wife and I were called to ministry in 2010, this ministry in 2010. We knew that we were not called alone. We knew that others were called to partner with us, not us directly, with CI. Romans 10, 13, and 14 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are says, sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I remember back in 1998, when I was first planning to go to India, we were chosen from, a, I believe, about 100 groups that had applied to go, and there were four chosen. And I got to watch a video of the program from the year before. At the very end of the video was just some kids playing. A dirt pile, you know, kids playing in it. And it hit me, and a great weight went on my chest. These children could spend eternity separated from Christ simply because no one had told them. Since then, it's been my life's goal to tell them, to tell as many people as possible, to disciple as many people as possible. And your support helps us to do exactly that. So we want to thank you from Children's Camps Inter International once again for your support of Children's Camps International. Thank you. Pastor, I'm going to turn it back to you. Because you don't read it. It's a picture book. You look at it. Does anybody remember the 2018? Anybody go to the 2018 harvest? I did. And the 2010 and the 26 and the 2012. Anyway, <laughs> I work for them. Obviously, I have to go. Um, but that's just an indication of one way that people can help. Another way that, that farmers are helping is they get together, a few farmers, God puts a call on somebody's heart, and a few of them get together, and somebody donates a small piece of land. They grow a crop. They all get together, 10 or 12 combines. They take it off a quarter section of land. It doesn't take them long. <laughs> 12 combines and a quarter section. They take it off. They all have lunch together, and they sell that crop, and, and we're talking about sending literally tens of thousands of children to camp, and to follow up and discipleship programming. Pastor.